The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy needs. Here is your host, Jose Solis. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at HalliburtonLabs.com forward slash giveaway. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm going to be talking with Jeff Pond. Jeff is an experienced leader within the wireless telecommunications industry. He began his career in sales and marketing at Sonam Technologies, Inc., holding roles of increasing responsibility before eventually driving Sonam's sales team as the senior vice president of global sales. During his time managing the sales organization, Jeff established new commercial relationships, leading to a 100% growth in sustainable revenues. Jeff moved on to become the senior vice president of product at Sonam, where he brought a renewed market-based approach to developing the company's roadmap and product strategy. In 2019, Jeff led Sonam's internal IPO efforts, resulting in a successful $45 million public offering on the NASDAQ in May of that year. Since then, Jeff has been helping a handful of technology and telecom startups get off the ground and on the path to scalable success. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jeff Pond. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Great to be here. Happy to be a part of the show. How's your Friday going? So far, so good. It's just getting started over here on the West Coast, but yeah, looking forward to hopefully what will be a little bit, a bit of a wet weekend over here. So we need the rain here in California. Yeah, I think we're going to get some here in Texas too. So when we first started talking before the podcast, I noticed that you have the iconic Air Jordan slam dunk contest poster behind you. It looks like it's a, like a, a real collector's piece. You said that there's a really interesting story there. Why don't you share it? Yeah, no, happy to share it. And it's one of those things that I've probably told the story about 300 times over the last year with everybody working from home and uh, all the video conferencing going on. But long story short, I was a, a big Jordan fan during the 90s. And during Jordan's last season with the Bulls, my dad went and got tickets for us to go see Jordan play against the Warriors here in the, the Bay Area which as you probably remember from the mid 90s, the Warriors weren't a a great team. And so with all that said, Jordan played all of about uh, 13 minutes of the game and got a lot of rest, but it was still great to see him in person. Anyways, after the game, which the Bulls did win, my dad went down to the team store, bought that picture behind me, which has Jordan's autograph, and was hanging up in his house for a number of years. And about three or so years ago, he actually gifted it to me as a birthday present, telling me that it was something that was always intended to be passed along to me. And so might as well enjoy it now. So that's what you see hanging behind me. Obviously, people who are listening to this won't see it on video, but I can tell you have more sports memorabilia. Were you an athlete growing up? I played a lot of sports as kids, but I never actually got to, to playing in kind of the varsity or level in high school or you know even continuing on into to college. But when I was a kid, played Little League, played basketball, uh, did karate. Basically, if there was something to keep me active and running around when I was younger, I was doing it. You know, I always find it interesting when people play sports, you know, as somebody who I've hired people in the past, that is always something I sort of look for. If somebody's played a team sport in the past, then especially if they've played it 
you know, even just as a kid, but that experience, like having to work together as a team and being coachable and and being open to receive like lessons and and understanding like, okay, maybe there's something I can do better and and I can develop and, you know, I want to be the best, right? They're competitive, right? That is always something I look for when I, whenever I'm, you know, interviewing people. Is that something that, that ever enters your mind whenever you're talking to somebody for as a candidate for a position? Well, let me flip that on its head for a second. My actual first job that I got during the interview process, I actually talked about playing sports. And I think a lot of the things that you just highlighted were some of the things that I was trying to convey. And I think it helps a lot of candidates convey that message. When I was in high school, I was going out for the cross-country team and we were practicing before summer. And unfortunately, I twisted my, my leg and tore my meniscus in my knee. And so I had to have knee surgery at the ripe old age of 15, spent six months in you know, basically a fixed leg brace and on crutches. And when I was done, had to go through the whole process of really learning how to rewalk. I had lost about four or five inches of muscle mass off of my right leg. And you know, it, it's one of those things where your brain says, I can do this. I can run. I can you know, I can jump, I can walk. And you go and take that first step. And it's like Bambi sliding across the ice for the first time. So it's one of those things where I use that as a story in my my interview process to just talk about the mental nature of having to overcome what your body is you're telling you you can't do and your mind is telling you what you can do. And, you know, it's really about perseverance. It's about dedication. It's about working through the tough times. And just because something is difficult doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're kind of walking away from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that carries a lot of weight in business, right? I mean, you can always draw on that experience and look back and say, man, you know, I've, I've had to go through so much physically now it's more of a mental game, right? Right. Which there, I think there are also some physical aspects, especially if you travel quite a bit or if you're just, you know, if you're not sleeping as much because you're, you know, you're dedicating a lot of time to a project or a process. That definitely is something that you have to have a mental toughness to persevere through, right? So with that being said, let's talk a little bit about business now. Let's jump into the business aspect. So I've given a little bit of a background in your bio, but I'd really like to hear from your own words you know, sort of your your rise and your experiences and what it was like for you to work for a company and then that company go public. And then let's talk about that process. Yeah. So it's actually a really interesting process. And it's one of those things that really is a, a roller coaster of a journey, or at least was for me. I joined a company called Sonum Technologies back in 2008 as an intern. I was finishing up university at UC Berkeley. And when I did so, the company was just launching its second product. It was focusing on selling through smaller stores over in Europe. And as you mentioned, I left the company in late 2019 after the company had gone public here on NASDAQ, was selling its products, which were ruggedized mobile devices through the likes of AT&T, Verizon, Sprint at the time, and a number of other global carriers. So it was really kind of a significant change in the company's trajectory over that period of time and a lot of growth that happened at that corporate level, but also a lot of growth that happened for me. I got to see the company through a number of different lenses over the years, starting off as an intern through you know, kind of the, the sales organization, working closely with engineering and operations and marketing, and then eventually running the product organization. So just overall, a lot of stuff to you know, kind of learn along the way. Every 
every year I kind of felt as if I, I, I knew more than the last. And it wasn't until the later years that I realized that what I knew was just the tip of the iceberg of what there still was to learn. So you know, just overall, just an amazing experience. So let's talk about the process that goes into taking a company public, right? You know, what was your experience taking a company public? What is that process like? And, and you know, what is, you know, why even take a company public first off? Yeah, so the biggest reasons to to take a company public are to have additional access to to cash and a little bit more liquidity. And depending on the structure of the way you've done fundraising thus far is to provide some liquidity to existing investors who have helped get your company to that stage. So, you know, I think those are the primary reasons to take a company public. The process in and of itself, I got involved, you kind of right when we were kicking things off with sitting down with the lawyers and the bankers and, you know, starting to write the S1, which is, you know, a very lengthy document to write and read through, but got started in that process. And then from there until the time in which we actually got listed on NASDAQ, it was about just under five months. Okay. So during that process, right, how do you select, you know, which exchange or which market you're going to you're going to list on? How does that work? Yeah, so that was something that candidly I wasn't a part of. That was something that our board, our bankers, our executive team had been involved in. When I joined the process, I came in right as that had already been determined and we were working towards actually completing and submitting all of the materials needed to, to go through that process. Okay, I understand. And so as the company grew, how did your role change? So once the company went public, I'm sure a lot of things probably changed. How did how did your job change? So there's a lot of things involved with uh, with taking a company public. You know, a lot of th- things that need to be buttoned up along the way where I think a lot of people think about in the back of their mind from time to time as a non-public company, but maybe don't have the time or resources or energy to really throw at it. So making sure at a baseline level that your financials are always up to date, audited, being done in a timely manner, that those are things that you have a little bit more leeway as a non-public company versus as a public company in terms of meeting those deadlines. There's also a lot of stuff that needs to be put in place around controls and systems and processes to make sure that you're compliant with all the requirements of being a, a public organization. So I think there's a lot of additional overhead that's introduced as part of that. And then, of course, now instead of managing a handful of investors, you're managing dozens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of investors and making sure that you're communicating to them on a regular basis, providing them with real-time updates. So there's just a lot of additional stuff that goes into that process once you've crossed that barrier. So you mentioned that you moved on and now you're with Onward Mobility. And so tell me a little bit about your role there and what you guys are looking to achieve. Yeah, so we have helped a couple of companies over the past year and change. So one of which is Onward Mobility, which has developed or is in the process of developing and launching the next BlackBerry device that'll be coming to to market here. So Onward helped secure the license for the BlackBerry brand for mobile devices back in 2020, kind of right before the pandemic, and has been working since then to bring that iconic brand and device into the market after the last device was launched under TCL a couple of years ago. Okay. So during this process, right? I mean, this is this is a really critical time for you guys. 
how has, you know, what type of challenges have you guys had to overcome as you're building out, you know, towards launching a new product? You know, I, I think there's a lot of challenges that, that every company faces. And, you know, as I mentioned, there's a couple of companies that, um, you know, kind of working with Connected being another one. But this is one of those things where it's a challenge of one, just adapting to the new world in which we all live in. We're sitting on, you know, video calls every day and looking at each other's offices and homes versus meeting in person. So that certainly introduces some challenges around how quickly you can scale and move things forward as compared to how you used to just get on a plane and go have a, a bunch of meetings in person. And that's whether you're meeting with potential investors or banks, or if you're meeting with potential clients or partners. So it's changed those dynamics a bit, which has certainly made things interesting. But you know, as you look to scale, it's with any new company, it's about how do you put in place all the right processes? How do you assemble the right team to really help you succeed as you move forward? So I think that those are the key things that should be going through everybody's minds right now is given the fact that we all have the ability to, to work from home in a way that we haven't had in the past, it doesn't mean that you need to necessarily hire somebody local to you when in fact, if there's somebody that's more qualified that may live halfway across the country, you'll have the ability to engage them just as you would if they were sitting across the office from you. That brings up a good point, right? Because as companies are scaling, I think, you know, Owners and leaders look at, hey, you know, how do we, you know, we're bringing on key hires, right? We're bringing on people as we're scaling. You know, what would be your philosophy on, you know, developing somebody for a leadership role or hiring somebody from the outside for a leadership role? I mean, there's probably, I'm sure there is, there's pros and cons to both, right? But from your own perspective and experience, what would you say you've seen work out the best? So certainly the ability to promote from within, I think, is is you know, great. And if you have the ability to do so, I think definitely looking there first is not only a great way to reward people for all the hard work and effort that they've put in over the, the years to kind of get the company to where it's at or to, to help grow themselves, but I think that it also showcases a great philosophy internally as well. And it really showcases that you do care about your employees, you do care about your team, they, they become an extended part of your family. With that said, you know, there is nothing wrong with getting some new thoughts and perspectives and bringing in you know, the right people from outside, whether those are experts in their field who have done it for years and are joining your team as you're part of the executive team, whether that's looking to bring in trusted advisors of sorts that can help counsel and mentor your existing team. I think it's always important to be taking in those outside perspectives and, and thinking about what you can be doing differently. If you're doing the same thing the same way every day for the next 10 years, you're probably not being innovative. You're probably not growing the company. So again, taking in those outside perspectives, listening to your own team, and really trying to, to help promote from within, I think, are, are great ways to address that. That's interesting. I think that you hit the nail on the head. You know, there are pros and cons. If you're trying to get fresh perspectives, you know, I think that's always good, especially from people with experience. I mean, experience is definitely so valuable. And when you can bring somebody on that has already that experience of scaling a company or doing something that you're trying to accomplish, you know, you really cut that learning curve down, right? versus trying to, or 
you know, developing people is great. I think promoting from within is always a really good idea because you've got that loyalty from that person because you've sort of brought them up with you and, and now they're they're going to be loyal to you for a long term versus you know, somebody who might have just said, hey, you know, you pick me up. I've taken this job. And, you know, if something better comes along, I may I may right. change shift, right? So that's really interesting. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what you've learned a little bit about yourself as you've gone through the scaling up process and you've, you know, what is something that you, you looking back, you said, man, you know, I, I used to think this way and now I think that way. You know, I think I, I touched on it a little bit earlier. Early on in my career, I thought very much of, you know, wow, I, I've you know, had a chance to do it all, so to speak, or, you know, gosh, I know everything about this particular topic. The reality is, and I, I quickly figured this out, was, you know, realizing how little you do know, realizing how important it is to continuously learn and be open to, to new ideas and not be arrogant to, along those ways. You know, for me, that that's a, that's a huge thing that any person that's either starting their own business or getting started in the in any industry, maybe they're just out of college and it's their, their first job, but recognizing that what you don't know vastly outweighs what you do know. And more importantly, that it's okay to, to say, I don't know the answer to that. Or, you know what, let me defer to this person who may be the subject matter on that. So for me, that was a big lesson that I had to learn. And, and I think something that you know really has resonated throughout the, the rest of my career since then. What do you do to escalate or cut down your learning curve? You know, do you listen to podcasts? Do you read? I mean, what is your process to consume as much information and get schooled up on something or a subject as fast as you can? And what kind of resources do you pull from that you feel work best for you? Because I think everybody learns differently. And yeah. you know, now we have so much abundance of information that's out there. Not all of it's great information, granted, but you know, there are resources out there. And what kind of resources do you like to rely on or that work best for you? I think that, as you mentioned, there's a lot of great resources out there ranging from you know, doing internet researches and reading articles to looking and listening at podcasts and live streams that may be occurring within your particular industry, or even going out there and talking with people in your network and just saying, hey, can I grab 10 minutes of your time, 15 minutes of your time? Let me run this idea past you. Let me make sure that I'm actually understanding this right. For me, I've always followed the philosophy of I don't understand it until I can explain it to a five-year-old in a way that they can understand it. Because that to me is means that you truly have a grasp on it and you're not just regurgitating the big words or terminology that other people are using. It actually means that you have been able to digest it, been able to process it, been able to get it back to somebody in a way that they'll understand it. So for me, that that's the way I always like to think about it. Yeah, I really try and steer clear of using acronyms and jargon when I'm trying to explain something because I feel like that just really, yeah, it sounds tidy and nice, but if that other person doesn't necessarily speak your language or that industry's language, I don't want them to get lost in the, in, in, you know, get lost Absolutely. in the sauce as they say, right? Like, I don't want to lose them. No, that's really interesting. I appreciate your perspective there. What do you do to, you know, sort of keep yourself balanced, right? I mean, balance, we always talk about balance. I don't really think that there is such a thing. I think you're either in, you know, it's, it's like we were talking about sports. Sometimes you're just in the season where you're just going really hard and then you're in training, right? Where you're just, you know, sort of maybe recharging your batteries, practicing, getting back to basics, whatever it might be. 
but what is your process or what are some of the things that you do to sort of give yourself like a recalibration? You know, I think it's a couple of things. And again, this is probably a lesson that I've learned over the years, but I think it starts with making sure that you have the right boundaries set up for your professional and your personal lives. So for me, it's important to have a couple of hours carved out each evening that you can spend with friends, you can spend with family, or even just spend by yourself that you're not inundated or with emails or checking your emails or taking calls, things along those lines. And additionally, I think it's important to make sure that you actually do take time off, take vacation. I was horrible at taking vacation days. You know, I had my vacation maxed out for so many years that, you know, I was losing days in in the process, recognizing the fact that it's the world doesn't, you know, stop when you stop, that it's not the it's not the end of, of things. If you go away for a couple of days, there's hopefully you've surrounded yourself with the right people, a great team that can really pick up in your absence and maybe even do a better job than, than what you were doing during the process. So again, I think it dovetails back to that team conversation that we were having earlier. When you're building up your team, right? I've heard this from a couple of entrepreneurs and business owners is that you know sometimes they struggle with letting go of processes or letting go of a, of a task or having that you know, I don't know if it's a trust issue or if it's just, you know, they're just holding on to everything. But when you're delegating something or when you know, like, I need to start delegating some tasks or some some things to people, what are some things that you look for? Or how do you know, like, this this person can handle that? What what kind of characteristics do you look for and say, oh, you know what, I think, I think they've got this. I don't have to get involved anymore. Yeah, you know, I, I think it depends on, on the person as to, or the task, let me put it that way, as to what you look for. I think that the big thing that I've always tried to remember is you've hired a person to do a job and you've trusted them so much that you're willing to to pay them to do that job. And to that extent, you need to be able to trust and enable them to to go execute according to that planning process. It doesn't mean that they're going to do it perfectly every the first time around or even every time around. But you need to give them that trust. You need to provide them with the right tools to, to go execute that. And then, you know, if they need help along the way, you're certainly there and available to help them. If there's course correction that's needed, you're certainly there to help course correct and, you know, kind of guide things back on the path. And you're also there to celebrate their, their great work. So, again, I think that a lot of people run into the trap early on of, it's easier for me to just do it, so why don't I just just do it, right? Rather than taking the time to go explain it to somebody or to trust them to go do it, worry about having to redo work that they might mess up along the way. Again, you've hired that person, you've trusted that person, give them the tools to go execute it. And if they don't execute it, then you know that's a different conversation that you need to have. And maybe there's some training or depending on how many times it's happened, maybe it's time to go look for somebody else to fulfill that role. But certainly don't fall into the trap of making it so that way you're the only person that can go do those things. The way I've sort of digested it sometimes when I've heard other people talk about how they do it is they say, if I can find somebody that can do something, you know, 75, 80% at the level that I can do it, I can trust them because nobody's ever going to, if they're not, if it's not their business, I can't expect them to give 110% every day. They don't own the business, right? This is not this is not their nest egg if you will. But, you know, if I can trust them to at least accomplish it at a B level, then I'm good to go. I can let that ride, you know. And so that's something I find really interesting. Do you agree with that? Yeah. No, I mean I I think it's certainly the case where 
anybody who's expecting perfection on day one or the first time that somebody goes to complete a task, they're just expecting the, the impossible. And so going in with that expectation of, hey, they might not get it 100% the first time, but they can actually grow from a B level to a B plus to an A minus to an A plus you know, over the upcoming iterations of that. I think that's really important. I think the other thing, just coming back to you know, team and hiring, I've always believed that if I believe that I'm the smartest person in the room, then I failed in actually hiring the right people. Yeah, the right people, in fact, probably are significantly smarter than me on their particular topics. They probably are better at me on a lot of the things that they may do. So there's nothing wrong with hiring you know, high caliber talent or developing high caliber talent that actually knows more or does more than you know what you're capable of doing. Those just means that they, they're a great asset to the organization, a great aspect to your team. Yeah. And I think that also coincides with sort of putting your ego to the side and telling yourself like, you know, I can't be the best at everything, right? Unfortunately, sometimes I think people allow their ego to get a little too involved and not allow themselves to see that, hey, there might be somebody out there who's a hundred times better at this than I am. And I need to find that person, right? Or I need to allow that person to perform at that level, right? Because if you sort of micromanage them, maybe they won't perform at that level. And, you know, that might be that might be a problem on your part, not really their part, right? Where you're not giving them the leeway to run and perform at that high level. Again, I think it all boils down to empowerment, enablement, and trust, right? You've trusted them to do the job such that you, you've hired them to do it. Now empower them and enable them to go do it, provide them the support. And again, if, if they don't perform, then that's a different conversation. But you shouldn't go into the task at hand or the job or the conversation assuming that they're not capable of doing it. So that kind of brings us to like culture, right? When you're trying to build culture in an organization, you've been a part of you know, successful organizations. You know, what kind of culture do you feel that has been the most conducive to growth? So I think there's a couple of things that really stand out in that. The first of which is making sure that you have an open and transparent culture and environment, one in which people have visibility and access to their senior leadership and can go and simply walk in the door, pick up the phone, you know, start a video call, whatever it might be, and ask them a question. Say, you know what, I don't understand you know, what the business's plans are for X or Y, or hey, I have an idea I'd like to run by you. I think you know, that you know kind of lays the, the foundation and groundwork. And then it's about the team that really you know, extends from there. The ones in which I, I found to have the, the greatest cultures are the ones in which people are willing to wear multiple hats. They're willing to, to help each other out. They're willing to do stuff that's not necessarily within their job function because it's for the betterment of the company or because it's for, you know, it's helping out their coworker in another department. I think all of those things are important. And then lastly, the most important rule, and I'm not sure if I'm going to break any rules here, but it's the, the no jackass policy. You, know, you need to have a team of people that you can enjoy working with, the team of people that you like working with and that you can trust. And if there's somebody that has an ego that's, that's so big or just has a, a personality that is off-putting to people, that's going to be toxic to the culture along the way. Yeah, I've seen that firsthand. It's a very unfortunate situation, especially when those people are very talented at what they do, but do not, you know, provide the right environment or do not help create the environment that's needed for the entire organization to grow or the team to grow. 
that really becomes a problem and, and you have to remediate that as quick as possible. <laughs> and Absolutely. like I said, it's really unfortunate, especially when they are like really great performers, but not really great teammates, right? Yes. So let's sort of close down with, you know, some of the things that have been, you know, kind of driven you to pursue this life, right? I mean, what was it that told Jeff, like, hey, I want to be, you know, I want to be a, an athlete of business. I want to be a professional business person instead of, you know, going down other roads of professions? You know, I think that business was something that was always incredibly interesting to me. Something where, and I really got the first taste of this when I was in high school, and my first job was working at the local deli and butcher shop. And getting to, to see all the different aspects of the business from interfacing with customers to literally doing the dishes and mopping the floors to, you know, some of the stuff that was happening around the IT systems and, you know, ordering and processing and things along those lines. You know, from there, you, you really just see that there's a lot of different stuff to learn. And it was that continuous learning that I think was really exciting to me. And, you know, I think this dovetails off of the athlete conversation that we were having earlier. But you know, there's always a sense to, to win, always a sense to do better. You know, when you're a swimmer, you're a runner or any of those those types of sports, you're, you're continually pressing yourself for your own personal best, right? And I think that, that certainly carries forward into the business life as well. You're always pressing yourself for your personal best to do better, to learn from your mistakes, to see if you can optimize just a little bit more and do that along the way. And the same thing for your company, right? You want your, your company to become increasingly more profitable, drive more revenue, get access to more customers. So I think those are all the things that are important that really drive you day in and day out as you look forward in your career. So those goals that you set for yourself, are those things that you write down or you keep them in, you know, like your mental notebook or do you put them somewhere? Or how do you keep yourself accountable? Yeah, to me, I've always been horrible at taking notes. So it's more one of those things that I, I put my uh, the back of my own brain and continually just kind of check myself on. But I know a lot of people, they'll, they'll create you know, documents that they'll, they'll look at, they'll create dream boards or you know, goal charts and things along those lines. It's really one of those things that it will vary from person to person, and there's no right or wrong method to it, as long as, as you mentioned, it's something where you can continue to hold yourself accountable towards. Yeah, it's what works best for you, of course. Right. Of course. Jeff, how can people, you know, if anybody from the podcast wants to reach out to you or follow you or connect with you, what's the best places? Like, what platforms are you on? Where do you do your most engagement at? Yeah, so LinkedIn would probably be the best way to reach out to me. So you can just search me for me on LinkedIn, Jeff Pond, and happy to, to connect with any of the, the listeners and happy to follow up on you know, any of the opportunities that you might be working on or things where we might be able to partner on moving forward. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. And I really appreciate it. And I was I had a really good time getting to know you and getting to meet you and just sharing your insights about, you know, business, your personal life, and then taking, you know, company public and some of the things that happen along the way. I definitely want to see if we can get back together and maybe do a round two as, as you progress in your career. And we will talk again. Would love to do so. And thanks so much for having me on the show. And thanks to all the listeners. Excellent. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks. Join us again next week for another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.